Good morning, everybody. Jason Connor, lead pastor, Portico Church, Arlington. We'll be in Psalm chapter 2 today, so if you have your Bibles handy, you can grab those. So when I was just a kid, and let me just tell you, everything I'm about to tell you kids, because I know many of you are out there, uh, do not try this at home. I just, I don't want to get in trouble with your parents. But when I was just a kid, probably about seven or eight years old, I decided with three other neighbor kids that we were going to run away from home. It was summer, we were kind of bored, and in our minds, it would be so much more fun for us to take a boat and a canoe and take a BB gun and to go live off the land uh, for a while. So we, we made detailed plans to do this. In fact, another kid from outside of our neighborhood came in to be a part of it. So there's four of us. So we made these detailed plans. We, got, we actually got our equipment together. And then the day that we were to leave, I actually went home and I talked to my mom about this. Uh, and I said, hey, guess what? You know, don't take this the wrong way, but I'm going to run away. Uh, and we're going, we've got all of our equipment together, ready to go. And my, expecting my mom to kind of get angry at me, she, she kind of did her cackling laugh that she kind of always did when I said something like this. And she said, okay, great. And she packed me a lunch. She packed me a bologna sandwich and some stuff, and probably a Twinkie, and handed me a bag, and off we went. Well, as we started out, um, we got in a huge fight, all the kids, and we decided that the one kid outside of our neighborhood had to be in another boat that we would tie to our canoe, but he couldn't be in our boat. And needless to say, as the whole thing fell apart, and as I was eating my bologna sandwich, saying how awesome this freedom was to be away from my family, um, well, guess what? I walked back home that night, and I was there just in time for dinner. Here's what I learned as a little tyke trying to break free uh, from my house. Man, the world is a dark place, and you don't really know that per se until you extricate yourself from the authority structures, from the things that God has put into your life, like a mom and a dad. And so I, I learned that, and I wouldn't really understand what that would mean until, I was, uh, until much later. But this is where Psalm 2 goes for us today. It gives us a picture of a world, one, that is um, uncoupled from God's loving, gracious rule, and another world where his people are yearning for that, where God is in control, where his king is on his hill. So we need to understand this. And we know that God is building in our lives a playlist. He's giving us songs because all these psalms were sung by God's people. So we're, we're building a playlist, building a language for things like hope and lament and even kingship, understanding what it means that God is in control. Friends, if you look at the events, even of this week and the season that we're in, it's very easy to say, hey, who's running this place? Who's in control? Maybe I need to just go out on my own. So, uh, friends, this is good. We want to see what Psalm 2 has for us today. So we're going to jump right in to this psalm today. It is, you know, we actually did Psalm 1 a few weeks back, so it's, it's the part 2 of that. And as we remembered, Psalm 1 and 2 are really the on-ramp into the psalms. So if we don't understand how they function, what Psalm 1 and 2 do for us, then we're going to have a hard time singing the rest of the psalms. So let's go in this together. Uh, this is going to start in Psalm 2, and we're just going to read the whole thing. It says, Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart. Let us cast away their cords from us. 
He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Bless, and this ties it all the way back to Psalm 1. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come before you today grieving as a nation that continues to deal with racism, as a world that continues to deal with disease. We need you, Lord. We are to take our hope in you. Would you give us a clear picture, Heavenly Father, of what it means today, not yesterday, not tomorrow, today, that you are in command? We need to understand this, Lord. We thank you for your word. We even know now that, Jesus, you are at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. And as we open up your word, would you please open it up for us that we might behold its treasure and be forever changed in the name of Jesus. Amen. So what this psalm seems to say on one level is you're either going to choose humility, that is living with God as your king, or you're going to live a life and even die in futility. So humility or futility, we get to choose that. And there's huge implications for either one. So we're going to walk through this psalm too, understanding that the major lens is either you're going to humble yourself, humility, under God's mighty hand, as First Peter says, or you are committing yourself to a life and a death of futility separated from him. So we want to understand what that means. And three ways we'll look at that today. One is God's rule is in question. So it, it starts out this way. This whole psalm is about God's rule. And it starts out with, hey, it, it, why? Why are people doing this? So God's rule is in question first. Secondly, God's rule is in person. We'll show that through the text. And lastly, uh, God's rule is in power uh, now and in the future. So let's walk through that together. Uh, this is a song. This was sung by Israel. And when I say that, it means God's people. And so we need to understand what would Israel have been reminded of? How would their soul have been stirred when they would sing Psalm 2 together as a congregation? Well, there's three things that would have been taken back or brought their memories to as they would sing the psalm about their nation, about God. First is that they were called out by God to be a blessing to the nations. In Genesis uh, chapter 12, verse 3, we see God call out Abraham, and one of the things he says is that, I will bless you that you might be a blessing. In fact, 
in, in you, all the families or all the peoples of the nations will be blessed. So part of God's covenant or promise to Abraham was that Israel, all of God's people, would end up being a blessing to all of the nations. Uh, secondly, as they would read this psalm, uh, they were to understand that their hope is explicitly tied up with the house of David, with God's king. In other words, if God's king fails, they fail as a people. Uh, why is this? God always works in history through real people and real time and real places to move his promises forward. It's not any different today. So they knew that their destiny was tied up with the house of David, especially in this psalm. And lastly, uh, they understood that God's rule in their life required two ver- putting together two very specific things. One is hope. So we learned when we lament, even through a, a psalm, um, we feel the real despair of sorrow. And at the same time, we tie it and anchor it to God's promises of hope and redemption. Well, in this psalm, we're understanding that God's will requires us to even do something further. We have to anchor hope with humility. Now, humility means that I may not like or I might hate the situation that I'm in, right? And we, ha- and we learn to live and to be humble in that and also be sat- dissatisfied at the same time, all the while walking in faith in God. So this song would have brought forward these emotions in God's people as they read it, as they sung it together. I want you to notice right off the bat, right, God's rule is in question. It's funny because uh, as a nation, we're so divided, as, and maybe even as a world. However, here's one thing that unites everybody. Can I tell you this? Uh, it's standing against God. Just, just check this out for a minute. It's, un- it's really unity and futility here. It starts out, in chapter 2, verse 1, why do the nations rage and why do the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves against and the people set themselves against God's rule and his anointed one. So there's this, uh, I don't know, this, I can't even believe it. What the psalmist is like, I'm astonished that the one thing that unites all of the world is this. I do not want your cords on me. I don't want to be tethered to anything that God wants me to do. Now, in Israel, this would have certainly been speaking about the nations that were around Israel because although that God was their king, they were surrounded by enemies, and those enemies did not want to love and serve God. Yes, but understand, this is the way our heart works. We believe that freedom is complete just removal of all restrictions so that I can do what I want to do. Uh, There's a part of it that is that, but Scripture gives us another view of freedom. It pushes up further. There's another side. It's so that you can do what you've been called to do. It's not absence of restriction. It's the purpose in life. It's a placement of purpose in life that you can actually walk out. And Psalm 2 brings this to us. There's unity in this idea that the people around Israel, even within Israel, were finding freedom in being free from God. Just like I thought as a young kid, I would find so much more freedom in just running away. Obviously, it wasn't true. So it pushes into that, this idea that there's freedom from God. Remember in Psalm 1, the psalmist uh, was saying that uh, blessed is the one who, 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 meditates on the instruction or the law of the Lord day and night. He delights in the law of the Lord. Here the delight is moved away from God and his word and into self-rule. You know what I delight in? Doing what I want, how I want it, with who I want it. 
period. I will be my own God. So this is what's happening. This is why God's rule is in question. Because if everybody does that, now what? Is God not ruler anymore? Is he not king anymore? Is he not in charge anymore? When things around us fall apart, where is he? So Psalm 2 answers us with this question, or answers that question with God laughing. Hear that. So this is, there's two sides to this, but God laughs. This is the response in verse 4. He who sits in the heavens laughs. Now, friends, there's two sides of this laughter. If you're trusting in God, it's comfort. It's God laughing at those who would upend his justice, his rule, his salvation, his purpose in your life. It's almost a mocking laugh. And for those that are standing against God, it's terror. It's, it's almost like when you go into maybe a job interview and they call your name to go sit down, and when they hear your name, they start laughing. They know they're not going to hire you. Right? It's, it takes your breath away a little bit. So there's, there's two sides of the coin here to God's laughter, but it should be for God's people absolute conviction and comfort that God is in control and that he's moving his purposes forward for you. So understand this. Think of it this way. Is God's rule in question in your life? Well, let me ask you this. Do you get intimidated by things that God laughs at? Well, I don't like, that's not what I'm asking you. Do you live in intimidation of the things that God laughs at? His purposes getting upended in your life. His plan moving forward. So there's tension here in this text that we are not to live our lives in intimidation of people, of circumstances, of anything, because God is our king. Choose humility. Choose to let him be your king, or if we don't do that, we're always going to walk into futility, always. So yes, God's question is in rule here, but then it resolves with God laughter. Secondly, God's rule happens to be in person. It's not just the idea. It's not just God speaking in his words. He always gives the promise especially in the Old Testament, of the anointed one. Now, anointed basically means oil, and if you look in the Old Testament, you will see um, Samuel who anointed both Saul and David with oil. Uh, And the idea, this is where we get the word Messiah, it's the idea that God would send one, a king, who would set everything that is wrong right. This, This is where this is flowing to. This is God's rule in person. So, Let's see what God says about that in verse 6. As for me, I have set my king on Zion, on my holy hill. So there's a little bit of a despair going on here. Even as we read Psalm 24, as it says, who can ascend the hill of the Lord? Right? Who can do this? Well, this was God's king. This is who can do this. This person will be able to do that under God's command. And this is how God responds. It's funny because it says that, um, you know, the people speak, let us burst their bonds apart, let us live free from God, and then God speaks. And the psalmist says it's going to be a speech of wrath and it's going to terrify everyone. And God says, oh, well, I'm going I'm to set my king in Zion. I'm going to put my king in the temple in Israel. There's a lot of things God could have said, and that's supposed to be terrifying. That's supposed to be comfort because of who the king is. So we're going to draw a line from, from all the way from God's promise to to um, Abraham in Genesis 12, also through David, and ultimately to Jesus. So who is God's rule in person? Well, right in this psalm here, it's David. 
uh, it's really a bit of a coronation, if you will, for David. In chapter 7, it says, I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Now, to the ancient ear, here's what that would have meant. That is inheritance language. This king that will be God's king will inherit the nations, not just Israel. He will have an authority that extends through Israel, through God, to bring everything underneath God's rule and reign. So this inheritance language. And I'm just going to take you there real quick to see um, what this psalm is actually talking about. If you look at uh, 2 Samuel 7, and I will take you to verse uh, 13. This is where God is making a promise for this Messiah. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And then he goes on, your throne shall be established forever. Now, very specifically, God is speaking about David here. Uh, This is his covenant that is getting more and more expansive. And yes, David was a king, and he was a king over a united monarchy, and there was a time of peace there, but it didn't last very long. In fact, if you look at the Psalms, in Psalm 3, it's, it's David running from his own kid. There's problems there in his monarchy. So we understand that maybe David was a good king, but he wasn't a great king. He committed premeditated murder. He, 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 had, he served God, but he wasn't enough. Wasn't enough. So God, this, this promise extends through David to the one who would be the true Messiah. So the, the entire fulfillment of this promise that God speaks in 2 Samuel 7 is to Jesus. So this is God's rule in person. How am I getting all the way there? Well, first I would tell you, um, when you understand God's promise in Scripture, I want you to think of it like a seed. For instance, think of a redwood seed. Uh, or, or even we'll just use Jesus' uh, mustard seed, very tiny. And when you plant that seed, it's almost barely visible. But within this seed is genetic material and instructions to build this into a massive tree. But in the beginning, it's virtually nothing. You plant it, you water it, maybe a little sprout comes up. It looks like the beginnings of a, t- of a tree. Uh, this would have been David. The seed, God's promise sprouts in Abraham, grows some foliage in David, and in Jesus you see full maturity of God's promise, and it always gets more and more expansive. So ultimately, this is talking about the coronation of Jesus. Let me just take you right there so you can see how uh, this is taught in Acts, because it is so good. Acts chapter 13 and verse 32, it says, and this is basically the Apostle Paul preaching a sermon and he says, and we bring you the good news that, that what God promised to the fathers, he has fulfilled to us their children by raising Jesus as also it is written in the second psalm, you are my son and today I have begotten you. So what we are to see, what we are to understand looking back today is that Jesus is God's rule in person. His resurrection is his coronation. The fact that he ascended to the right hand of the Father and poured out the Spirit onto the church, that is the evidence of his rule. So we can safely humble ourselves under God's rule because Jesus lives, because he has ascended to the right hand of the Father. So this is all pointing to this king, 
this anointed one, this Jesus, this one who is not just a begotten son, but he is God the Son. So we're to understand that. That is to give us confidence. For Israel looking forward, it gave him confidence. For us looking back and also to the return of Jesus gives us confidence. And lastly, this is God's rule in power. You need to see this. When we talk about Jesus, rightly so, we talk about his meekness, we talk about his gentleness, we talk about his love, and we should. Even Jesus himself said, I came not to judge, but to save, yes? But he is subduing everything. Everything that's subversive to his rule, he's going to destroy. Hear this. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. And he will break them with a rod of iron. Do you know where this shows up again? Revelation. Three times, actually. Revelation chapter 19, verse 16. Let me just read it to you. And from his mouth, this is speaking of Jesus, the returning Jesus, a sharp sword, that's his word, with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. Friends, Jesus is ruling in power. I don't mean just spiritual power through the church. I mean, he's ruling in power, uncontested. Uncontested power. And this speaks of him. This psalm is prophetic in that it's speaking about the return of Jesus, who will not just bring the nations together under him. He will actually bring with him judgment. So the call to the world leaders here in Psalm 2 is to kiss the son. That is, bring him homage. That is, submit yourself to him. That is, trust him. He is the rightful king. And the call to us is to understand there is no refuge from him, period. There is only refuge in him. And that's how the psalm ends. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Hear that. That is meant to give you and to give us comfort in his rule and in his reign. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Friends, um, as you remember, Psalm 1 started out by saying uh, that those who would meditate on the law of the Lord would be like a tree planted by rivers, by streams, and they would yield fruit in their season. So as we get to understanding what this means for your life, how does this change your life now? Well, Part of humbling yourself under God's word and trusting him is to produce fruit for him. What does that look like? Well, this week uh, I met with um, some other pastors in the local region. Acts 29 is our, our network, if you will. And there's several churches in the area. And we, we meet together to give just mutual encouragement, uh, for training. And we just, you know, we're doing it via Zoom video conferencing right now. So this Thursday... We met together, and you want to know how it started? I'll tell you how it started. It started with us praying together and weeping. Now, I couldn't be there for the entire session because I had another teaching to do, but we prayed together and we wept. Do you have any idea why? Well, some of those pastors on that video conference, some of my friends are African-American. And the reason that we prayed together to start, and the reason that there was emotion that flowed out of that and weeping, is because of what happened this week. Friends, 
If Jesus is our king, and if we truly understand this psalm and revelation, that when he comes back, he will bring with him judgment. And now, as his church, as his ambassadors, we must understand that one of the things that kindles his anger, I'm, I'm not truly, kindle his anger, is what happened on Monday night. So, and if, if you haven't seen this, George Floyd, African-American man, was arrested Monday night in what amounted to a slow public execution where he was, it looks like, asphyxiated, couldn't breathe. And knowing this wasn't an isolated case, friends, there is something horribly broken in our country. This is a dark time. And the way that I felt that the most was being in the presence with other men who are my friends, who are African-Americans. So part of the fruit that we bring as the church is to step into this. And I'm going to give you a few practical ways to step into this as a church because it matters. So some of the guidance I've had from my friends, and they're so, lo they're so loving and so gracious, is this. First of all, when you see George Floyd, when you see his death, you need to see yourself. One of the things that just struck me is that uh, these men have kids, and they were telling me, like, what do I tell my kids? Hey, don't jog here. You'll be like, I'm at Arbery. Hey, if you get... If, there, if, if there's any suspicion, this is how you deal um, with the authorities. Don't wear this when you go into a store. And they say, every year it gets worse. And so they're discipling their kids in ways that they don't want to do. So when you see this death, you need to see yourself. What if that was your kid? What if that was your roommate? What if that was your friend? What if that was you? How would you feel about that? How would you counsel when these African-American pastors in our network, in our cities, right here, how would you teach them to teach their children? Exactly. So understand, see yourself there. You have to see yourself there. Secondly, is you need to repent. I'm just going to throw that. Who's a racist? Are you a racist? Am I a racist? Well, guess what? Nobody's a racist except this continues to happen. Here's the problem with that. Um, it's like being rich. Nobody ever says they're rich. How much money is enough? I don't know, but nobody's ever rich. There's a threshold. There's attitudes. There's things that maybe even we tolerate in our workplaces or in our family settings or around that it let racism move forward. So we have to repent of that. We have to be honest about that. Um, you're not repenting for being white or for being Asian or being the race that God made you. That's not where the guilt lies right? And, and my pastor friends are quick to tell me that. Like, that doesn't make sense. Um, however, when we're silent and our friends are suffering, that's not how it works in God's kingdom. It's not how it works. We step into this. That silence hurts, and it hurts badly. So the third thing is this. Reach out. This is where you're going to be awkward. Reach out. Reach out. If you have African-American friends, just reach out to them. And you're like, I don't know what to say, and it seems stupid when I talk. I don't care. Me too. Me too. Reach out, send them a text, give them a call, and tell them, hey, I love you. Like, um, I, I want you to know that's not okay what happened. 
Obviously, violence is not the answer here, but reaching out to your friends, those that you know, and letting them know, I mean, just do it, and it's going to be awkward, and don't expect a high five from them, right? Don't ex- just, just tell them you love them, tell them you're on their side, and then just start getting educated on what you can do, what we can do as God's people. Friends, God is the risen king. Christ is the risen king, and I will tell you this. When he returns, this will be dealt with, and it will be dealt with very, very justly and very, very clearly. We as his church now have a role in seeing people treated with respect as image bearers of the living God. Who else understands that better than Christians? So let's step into that. Let us step into that. This has been on my heart. And, and as we close, just ask yourself this question. Are you spending your life serving God? Or are you spending your life fighting him? That's the tension of this psalm. Are you serving him or are you fighting him? Are you living a life of humility or are you living a life of utility? Because, you know, Jesus is the king, but when he put his feet on this ground, the crown that he wore was thorns. And he took on death for us as an act of love that he might bring about salvation for you to cover your sin and my sin reconciling us to God, and to make all things new. This is coming, folks. Trust him now. Trust him now. Let's be honored that God is our king and that he's given us this season to work in. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you're good. I am tired. I am weary of bad leadership. And we can't point the finger, can we? because we're all complicit. And so, Lord Jesus, I I thank you that you are king, that even now, in trying circumstances, you reign, Lord. And so I pray that you would guide us, that you would guard us, that you would encourage us to both walk in humility and to walk in trust, Lord. And so let us understand better what it means that you are the risen king. Let our hope be anchored there and let us produce fruit in line with that. We lift this up in the name of Jesus. Amen.